welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Michelle, for getting together with me for a conversation for the podcast. So I really appreciate just the opportunity to talk with you about you, and we'll just go from there. So like as an introduction, um, you know, I know I've known you for quite a few years, and um, you're um, originally from England. Correct. And you have a, um, a bunch of kids, and you um, and foster kids. And uh, so, anything else you want to say about yourself, just to kind of start things off? You know. As- well, you're right. I am from England. I came here in '93. In the middle of the floods, okay, um, yeah. and I'm a child of God, wife to Gary, and foster and adoptive mother to nine kids, and that pretty sums up my life right now. Okay, so you came over here in '93, and um, I think I've asked you about this before, but I've kind of forgot what brought you over to the United States. I came here as an au pair, so it's kind of like a live-in nanny. And it was supposed to be for one year, Um, but I met Gary, and that changed, and I've been here ever since. Okay. And then I know, um, like, a a big part of your life is your Christianity. Did that start young, just growing up in England? Yeah, I was very... um, Fortunate to be raised by parents that they weren't Christians when I were born, was born, but they soon became Christians not that long after that. And uh, so I was raised in a Christian home. And um, I became a Christian around the age of nine, I think. Um, and it wasn't any huge dramatic change for me just because of the way I'd been raised. And But I knew that God was special and what you know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins and had saved me. And um, it's been a growing experience from there on out. Um, and just, uh, you know, we grow in our knowledge of God and we grow in, not in our salvation, but I guess we are sanctified and we change, become more like Christ. And I've got such a long way still to go. But I just see that growth through the years and how I love him more as the years go by. So how did your parents get become, you know, converted or become Christians? I think, um, from what I remember, that uh, when I was born, they, um, I wasn't expected to survive. I had to have two blood transfusions as soon as I was born. And um, they kind of uh, reverted to the typical... Anglican, uh, I, I guess, like panic button, had me christened the day I was born. And and I, th- I remember uh, my dad told me that he prayed that if God would save me, um, that he would, you know, give his life to him, something along those lines. And obviously, I'm here. Um, and I think that opened their interest into God and Christianity, and they started visiting a church um, and found some friends, and then the Lord just opened their eyes over time and uh, 
my dad has and my mom they've been um serving the lord for years um my dad went to seminary when i was uh 16 and uh, we moved up to london for that and he's been an anglican um Vicar since then until he retired, he spent some time, or they spent some time, three years in Canada, in Newfoundland, serving the Lord there. Um, Before that, he worked in the prisons as a prison evangelist. Um, And so the Lord has just been very, um, it's been beautiful to see what he's done through their lives, and obviously that's had a huge effect on me. Wow. So... Either I didn't know that, or I think maybe I did and had just forgotten. But so when they got into Christianity, they just got into it big time, it sounds like. Yeah, the, um, they just knew God is there. He's the one that saves us. And, you know, we are there to then um, be obedient to him and whatever he calls us to do. Um, they've, my dad has been to um, Sudan into the jungles of Sudan, into the prisons there, um, and smuggled Bibles into um, Poland when um, the still communists were ruling. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's just been a, it, it was a great blessing to me to be raised by my parents to see God at work um, when he was a prison evangelist and uh, it was a, they had a very, very minimum income, and to see the Lord provide when they didn't know where the money was coming from, um, and see my mom stand by him and go with him wherever he's feeling that the Lord has led him, is is been a true blessing. So, is like fervent Christianity like that a rare thing in England? Because I kind of hear of England as being almost like post-Christian in a way. I think it's a rare thing most places. Okay. I think to, um, at least in the Western world, because we're so comfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, I was even talking to one of my uh, older kids this morning about it, that uh, I've seen them step out just very recently and do something that some people would say is wrong, not legally wrong, but because um, it could be dangerous or you don't quite know how it's going to work out. But what I've seen is my my older kid just open um, their arms to somebody in need, not worrying about what's going to happen, but knowing that we need to be there for those that need help. Hmm. And uh, that's really encouraged me this morning to see... You know, my kids doing that too, but and I said to them that it's it is it's very easy in this country and in England, and any country where we're comfortable to put ourselves out for the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, what are what are your thoughts about Anglicanism? Because I guess you were raised in that, but that's not what you're a part of now. So, um, I was raised a Baptist. Oh, you were raised a Baptist? Was, yeah, well, I grew up in a Baptist church. Okay. But um, my dad uh, felt called to the Anglican church, and uh, so he went to seminary for that, and uh, and I've just stayed Baptist. You okay. know, I know we all save the 
serve the same gods, God, just one. Yeah. <laughs> we serve the same God, um, and you know, we. I don't sweat over this tiny stuff that doesn't matter to salvation. What um, What was important to him? Do you know as far as like why he was drawn toward the Anglican? Tradition? He grew up in that tradition. Okay. Um, and he looked about going to um, seminary in the Baptist church, but my dad, um, he doesn't, uh, he's not incredibly well educated. Um, he took some final, our exams are different in England, but he took some final exams as an adult just to prove he could do it, but he's incredibly dyslexic and um, not clear of speech all the time and so for whatever reason the Baptist church turned him down but uh, and he felt Lord was calling him to go to the Anglican and so that's where he went and they took him and uh, that's where you know he was able to serve the Lord that way hmm. okay um, so you came over here you met Gary yes and then your um, your guys is like lives as a married couple has, hasn't been typical. Um, like I know that you guys went to Africa and you adopted kids and been fostering kids. So like, was that understood when you guys first got married or did that just kind of unfold later? I could not have imagined the life that I have. Um, I knew Something about my, my teenage years, I knew my life would be a little different from the typical one. And uh, I didn't quite know what that meant or what God had planned. Um, but I knew that I was walking it with, going to walk it with the Lord and whatever that meant. You know, when Gary and I got married, we both wanted to do whatever God wanted us to do. And... Um, didn't know what that looked like. Um, and we were four years into our marriage, and we overheard someone saying, that was fostering, someone saying, oh, yeah, well, they've got other kids for us as soon as we're ready. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, because there's a bunch of kids out there. And uh, that just tugged at my heart. It's like there are kids waiting to be adopted, waiting. And uh, so we decided to look into fostering, and um, that was back in 98. And I had to drag Gary to those classes, but he was very gracious and came with me because he wasn't sure what that looked like, neither was I. And we thought maybe we're taking kids and just see what, happened we we've talked about maybe having three or four kids and you know be kind of typical I guess I don't know um but he was fully on board by the time we finished the classes he saw the need God had moved his heart and um we were ready to take kids um and so over the years we've had somewhere between 25 and 30 kids through the home um, some just very short term, a weekend uh, that we knew were going to be really short. 
Um, some nine of them are going to be seven are permanent. Two more were in the process of adopting, and uh, some we've had long term up to two years that we've then had to turn around and say goodbye to, which is very hard. Mm -hmm. And um, when you, I remember this a story about you going to Africa. Was that for like a, a mission type of thing? Back in. I forget the years. I think it was 2008. Um, Gary's got... Um, just knew we, he wanted to serve the Lord full-time. But he's not a preacher. Um, God has given him incredible gifts with his hands to be able to fix and repair things. But really didn't know how to use this. And uh, he was reading a book... Um, Brother Andrew, have you ever heard of Brother Andrew? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay, he was reading his testimony, and uh, he heard of this place called um, WEC International Worldwide Evangelization for Christ, and they had a place in Scotland, and they were needing maintenance people, and he was like, "This, this is it. This is the kind of thing um, I can do." And so he looked. Got, it was the middle of the night. He looked up. WEC, found they were still in operation and uh, woke me up and to tell me that this is believes the way this is we're supposed to go. And so we contacted WEC and they told us, well, we're sorry, but you have too many children. We don't have anywhere for you because at that time we had six kids. And so we couldn't obviously do anything about them. And um, during that year... He really felt the Lord was telling him to give up his business. He's had his own business for 20-something years. And it's, you, you trust me. You give up your business and wait for me to show you the next move. That's a scary place to be when you've got six kids. And he's the main breadwinner. Um, but I'm so thankful for a husband that listens to the Lord and as hard and as scary as it was for him too, he was willing to be obedient. And he started handing his business over to somebody because he didn't want to just drop his customers because they'd been loyal to him. So he handed them over to somebody that um, he worked for or that he knew well. And the jobs, Gary said, I'm going to help him just you know, get to know my customers, get to know the jobs. But the jobs just start falling apart for really, really silly reasons. And I t told him, I feel like this is a Jonah situation. God has told you to quit, and yet you're still in the boat trying to help. And if we don't jump out of this boat and be obedient to what God's got for us, then we're going to take this other family that you gave the business to, we're taking them down with us. And so that day he just told this friend, this is yours, I'm walking away. It wasn't more than a week later that we got a call from WEC saying, we have a place for you that will take you and your six children. Wow, okay. So um, there was a scary times, but God is faithful. And so we went, the place um, God had for us was actually in England, Mm -hmm. And uh, we left to go to England to work for WEC International. Um, and Gary was going to be the maintenance supervisor um, 
and do all the repairs and that at their uh, place in Leeds. And we were over there about a year and just knew that the Lord was calling us to go to Zambia. Um, there are so many things, again, just crazy way the Lord works to open up doors for us. We weren't looking for it, um, but he directed our path, put us in touch with people that told us about a need and then started providing finances, started providing a way down for us. And so we knew this is where we needed to be. Um, so one interesting, really interesting part of the story is we took, there's obviously Gary and I and our six kids, and we were moving to Livingston um, in Zambia to start some kind of orphan work. Didn't know what it was going to look like, packed up all of our stuff. We'd never been down there before. God had provided the financing for us to buy tickets down there um, because we were owed some money, and it came in just in the right time for us to buy these tickets. And we got to the airport, and we had one-way tickets. And the lady at the desk said, you need return tickets or you need a visa. And we told her, well, we've spoken to the Zambian uh, consul in London, and they told us we could get a visa when we were down there. And she said no, and she showed us the paperwork, said they can fine British Airways $5,000 per person if we show up without a visa or a return flight. And I remember just praying to the Lord, you've called us here. You've made it so clear we need to go. This is your mountain. Nothing is too big for you. If you want us to go, you have to move this mountain for us. And she turned to us and said, hold on, just stay here. So we waited, had no clue what this lady was going to do. And she came back to us and she looked us straight in the eye and she said, if you tell anyone this, um, that she said, I will deny it all. But she said, I have booked you um, flights onto somewhere else, all eight of you. So when you get to Zambia, you can show them your flights. And she said, um, and then in about three days, I will cancel those flights for you. And we didn't have a credit card, and the amount these flights were going to be was everything that was in our bank account. And it was, do we go down, pay for these, not knowing how we're going to get to the Internet and cancel them, so then we'll have money for food? And I told her, we can't afford to buy them. She said, no, I've booked these. We don't, you don't have to pay a penny for them. I will cancel them but don't tell anybody what I've done. I'll lose my job. Hmm. So God made a way. Mm -hmm. We went down there, and uh, he was so faithful to be with us um, the whole time. Unfortunately, we were lied to, and we were only able to stay a month before we had to return. Um, and we don't understand to this day why, that happened, but we know of the stories of God's faithfulness to get us there, that he wanted us there. And um, while we were down there, there's a couple of um, stories I need to, or at least one story I need to share with you is that we were 
struggling to try and understand the Zambian culture. You know, here we are, six or eight American Brits in, in Zambia. And so we were praying, Lord, would you please show us someone that can help us and that can help us navigate our way around down here. Help someone that understands us, but also understands the Zambian people. And we went to visit an orphanage, and the director of that orphanage um, came over to us, and it wasn't a Christian orphanage, and he said, so are you guys Christians? And we said, yes. And uh, he told us, have you found a church? We said, no. He said, well, I'm the pastor, or, or he goes to this church around the corner, and it's a Reformed Baptist church. And... It's like, well, yeah, that's where we want to be. And so we went to visit that church that Sunday. And we're in a sea, you know, obviously a beautiful sea of black faces. And about 10 minutes after the service starts, these two families of pure white face come walking through and sit down. And it's like, well, we need to talk to them because we, you know, find out who they are, what they're doing down here. And... Um, after the service, we got to talk to them and found out that they are missionaries with Heart Cry in huh. Livingston. Then they work out in the were worked out in the bush about two hours away, but this happened to be their weekend back in town. And not only were they Americans, they actually came from St. Charles, St. Peter's area. Oh wow! So you know they're from the same town we came from. Met up in Zambia, mm -hmm. not knowing that they were even going to be there, and so they were able to help us negotiate and make our way and hmm. na navigate what we needed to know down there. So even though we weren't able to stay, God was faithful, and we don't know why He took us there. All we know is that we can be obedient to what he calls us to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I am excited Jeremiah actually gets to go back to Zambia um, in May of this year on a mission trip with people from Canaan Baptist Church. So oh, really? Wow. That will be, um, I'm a little jealous, but uh, I'm, I'm excited for him. Yeah. So um, I guess something that's kind of interesting to me is just one's own experience with God and connection with God and you mentioned like comfort and how that can be kind of opposed um, to um, maybe following God I don't know it seems like it can kind of be an obstacle um, like having something else that we might value or treasure that is an obstacle to like a, a greater treasure and stuff like that um, so I don't know, like, so what, when it comes to like satisfaction in God and stuff, um, like, do you experience that most, um, when, I don't know, like during times of risk and so forth, or, um, yep. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's taking that step out in faith. That's a challenge, but it's um, it's that's where we see the Lord faithful. Um, and as you said, just that whole comfort thing. It just 
reminded me of the three little girls we have right now. Um, you know, I'm 50, and I was looking forward to an empty nest. I was starting to make plans and dreams of what I'm going to do. Um, and we... Um, just to clarify, there's a rule of how many kids you can have in your home when you're a foster parent. And so after we adopted our first six, our house was full. We couldn't take any more. And that's when the Lord led us to England and then to Zambia and then eventually back here to the United States. And um, we just felt the Lord was still calling us to help with kids. So we've done something called Safe Families for Children where you're taking kids on a short-term basis to help parents that are struggling. But the day our second child turned 18, that following week we were back in class to be foster parents again. Um, and, but we were only going to foster this time. We weren't going to adopt. We set down the rules. We told God what we're not going to do. We're going to foster. And um, we took in this little girl that was out of my comfort zone. She was almost three, but she was on a feeding tube. She couldn't walk. She couldn't eat. She couldn't talk. Um, but it was only supposed to be for a few months because she was supposed to go live with her grandmother. And she was going to be going to school five days a week. And it's like, I can do this one. This one's not going to be too long, and it's not going to be too hard. And, uh, yes, yeah, she's now a Northcut because that didn't work out with Grandma, and we were trying to find other places for her to go. And the Lord told both Gary and I in on the same day but in different places, this child is one you are supposed to adopt. And um, I fought him with it. I fought God with that for several months. It's like, I don't want to start again. I don't want to go back to beginning. I'm too old. I made every excuse. But they were all, every time I thought about the excuse, they were always selfish. And uh, he made it clear that we needed to adopt Claire. So last March, a year ago, she was adopted and became a Northcutt. And then we took in, um, almost three years ago, we took in twins, 13-month-old um, twins, and um, they were, weren't planning on adopting them either. And it came to a place two years ago where the decision had to be made whether we would commit to adopt them or not. And again, I was fighting God on it. I'm saying, I'm too old, I can't do this. Um, but he was so gracious because a distant relative came forward. And in foster care situation, a relative always gets first. You know, it's always the first choice. And um, when a child, they, you know, when they're in that place, they're in a foster home, but a relative comes forward or somebody else comes forward, they take it to a staffing where basically the caseworkers and a couple of members in the community decide which is the best place for these children. And I was so torn um, because I know the work it involves to raise kids. Uh, and But I also didn't want to see them go, but I didn't know what to do. And it's like, okay, we're just going to be open to what the Lord wants. And if we 
win, I guess, at this staffing, then we know the Lord's wanting them here. I want this to be God's decision, not mine. You know, I love these little girls, all three of them dearly, um, but I'm selfish in nature and heart. And uh, I knew I would be desperately upset when they left, but I know that God also heals the brokenhearted because he's done that for us before. Um, so anyway, this, this situation went to the staffing and they chose us. So hopefully this summer we should make that adoption final too. But he's in control. Has there any been any regrets when it came to like um, taking a risk and then later thinking, um, well, we should have been more careful at that point or anything like that? No. There's um, taking, we've taken the risks. We've questioned. Like when Africa, Zambia didn't work out, we went through a period of why, why did this happen and not understanding why things don't work well. Um, we've also had a situation, we took in a little girl for two years and we were meant, we were meant to adopt her as well. And I think that was one of the harder ones for me because I saw my older children get her over that situation because they fell in love with her too. And then we learned she, she went back to her birth mother. And uh, while we're always you know, very positive for reunification, we knew this wasn't gonna be a good situation. And it wasn't, and she ended up back in care. Um, but it's an opportunity for me to point my kids to Christ. He calls us um, to open our homes. He calls us to be there for the broken. And he tells us not to worry about what it costs us. And the way I look at it, if Christ was willing to die for me, if he's asking me to have a broken heart for these children as we say goodbye for, to them, then I count that as a privilege. And uh, it's through those tough times that my Jesus has been so sweet to me. But I wish it made it easier each time to say, yes, I'll step out in faith this time, because it, it doesn't. I feel I'm very much like a, a, a huge Israelite, you know, where we see all the stories of God opening up the Red Sea or allowing them to cross the Jordan, providing manna for them, and yet they still doubt it. And I'm as guilty. But as they said, God is faithful. So it's during those difficult times that you feel closest to Jesus. Is that what you said? Um, Absolutely, because um, every day he's all I have. He's the reason for, for living. Um, but we, you know, I still tend to get caught up in the things of life. And it's only in those really difficult days where I know there is nothing I can do to fix this. There is nothing I can do. There's nothing Gary can do. My only place to go to make sense of life is Christ. So what kind of effect has this lifestyle had on your your kids? Like as they see it and um, like how do they respond to it? Um, what are their thoughts about it? That's a good question. Um, as I said, I was encouraged this morning just to see 
and hear stories from one of my kids about them opening their arms to somebody in need. And then another one told me about an opportunity she had to be able to help somebody else out. And so I'm hoping that if they've seen we've had an open home and we've taken risks that, you know, maybe some point they'll be able to do the same. Just in the way I did, I saw my, um, I heard stories, my dad tell people about how we don't have in, him and mom didn't have enough money for an electric bill one time and they were praying about it and the next morning they got up and there was an envelope on the mat with the money to pay that electric bill and he didn't my dad didn't tell me that directly but I heard him tell somebody else and that stuck with me and that has helped me in my journey so I'm hoping that will help my kids in their journey yeah so like it's different with um kids because they're kind of like the innocent victim and like um, when a family is falls apart and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that and there's nothing to do but just to, to help but sometimes something that can kind of get in a way of helping like not a kid but like an adult is um, just for example um a person can just squander away opportunities. They can just not care. They can not try. And then I think about my own um, life, just trying to be so diligent to um, make everything work and um, have some um, enough money to go around and have maybe a little extra for whatever, for, for giving or for saving or whatever. And then... Um, as far as like then giving to somebody else, it's almost like um, taking something that I've been really carefully, you know, uh, putting together and stuff. And then here um, for you, because you've just not cared and neglected and wasted your opportunities in life and stuff. So I'm just kind of giving you like, um, a train of thought that I've mm-hmm. experienced before, and I don't know if it's necessarily the right train of thought to have, but um, it can kind of, um, you know, make a person kind of hesitate about just sacrificially giving. Do you have any response to that or thoughts about it? <laughs> There's a couple of stories I've been reminded of recently. Um, one of them was before we went to England, we, um, we had a minivan, and the transmission was starting to act up, and, but we just felt God wanted us to give it to somebody. But I wanted to find somebody that was worthy of it. Mm-hmm. And so I called or spoke to somebody that was working with Bosnian refugees. Do you guys need anybody you're working with need a, a minivan? No. We asked somebody else, no. Well, then this one person gave this name of a lady to me, and that was my thought. You're not, she's, she's not worthy of it. For I won't go into why I thought that, but mm-hmm. it's like, she's not worthy of it. And uh, we kept looking somewhere else for someone that could use it. And couldn't believe we really couldn't find anybody that needed this van. And this woman's name came up again. And I remember saying, okay, Lord, if somebody else brings her name up for the third time, we know that that's where you want us to give it. It's not 
our call to say whether she's worthy or not. And um, so, obviously, her name came up again. And uh, then her, we told her daughter, she had like a 17-year-old daughter, the, the church we used to go to, and we told her daughter, we uh, believe God wants us to give this man to your mom. And, um, and we heard back later that afternoon that her mom was so incredibly grateful and they were so excited about this. Anyway, we were traveling home from church that evening and the transmission went out on that van and we didn't even make it home. But I knew straight away that we needed to fix that transmission for this lady because God had set the timing. We didn't have to tell her that morning. It could have you know, spread out longer and we never would have told her and so never given it to her. But she was excited and she was grateful and it was like we need to fix this. So we spent hundreds of dollars fixing this transmission for her, and that was our money to buy a new vehicle when we got to England. Mm-hmm. So what we had saved for a vehicle, God told us to repair it for this lady that we didn't, I didn't feel was worthy. Mm-hmm. And so we did that, not knowing quite what we would do when we got to England. Let's say God's faithful. It wasn't straight away, but after a while somebody approached um, somebody else at the organization we worked for and said, I have an eight-passenger minivan. Does anybody who's working with you guys, could they use it? Hmm. And uh, so they let us use it because it was just sitting at their house so we could borrow it for a while. And then after um, a couple of months, they came over to talk to us. Okay, this is causing trouble with our insurance because insurance is set up differently in England. Uh, because you guys are the main drivers of it. So we figured the best thing is just to give you the van. Hmm. Wow. So we took what we we had saved for that van mm-hmm. and was able to bless somebody, and God in turn blessed us. Just a second. I'm getting mess. I got people at the Airbnb house. Oh, okay. I'm getting like little messages, and I just want to make sure there's no emergency or nothing going on. So... fine though that's um, that's like another one just um you know we had the airbnb we're trying to set up mm-hmm. and about a week before it's ready to go our neighbor has uh got kicked out there's a problem between him and his the not the common law wife but um and he's asked if he can stay in that place while we're and obviously it's not bringing in the money we were hoping for mm-hmm. but it's an opportunity to show love of christ to him and so yeah. he's now in our Airbnb. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, I guess, you know, we've contrasted a little bit of just the standard way of thinking in the U.S. where we have comforts compared to like maybe, a, you know, a Christian way of, of thinking. Is there anything else... Um, like even things that might be prevalent in the church um, as far as things that seem to you to be like at contrast with a more of Christian biblical way of thinking, just kind of attitudes or ways of life that we might have? I think 
the church somewhat reflects the culture and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And in the fact that that comfort, I see it in the church as well as in individ- individuals. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I'm, it's not that I'm not guilty of it, I am too. You know, I like my house, I like my comfortable things, I like my van that moves, I like, you know, good food. Um, and it's a constant reassessing and um, dealing with those opportunities when God brings them. But I think in the church we can get to looking inward a lot rather than out. And uh, with the fostering, it's not just the kids that we're helping um, I've had the opportunity to share Christ with a birth parent before, and w- right now we have an incredible relationship with the twins' grandfather, and hoping to be able to be a blessing to him in just the way we live and what we can encourage him. Um, but yeah, that I think it's just easy to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. It's just, um, yeah, maybe it takes um, effort to break out of that, perhaps. Or, um, and it's, it is, it's always encouraging to look back on those stories to see where God's provided or where God has answered um, different prayers. Uh, but as I said, I, it still is challenging to do. So what is your relationship with God like um, generally? Um, like, um, I guess for me, like, it's hard to, put, like, when things are right, when things are not right in my life, like, there's some area that there needs to be repentance, and I don't, might not hardly even realize it, because it's kind of easy just to ignore things or rationalize things. But um, but then when I do feel close to God, where there's not like that area, the, the word that comes to my mind most is just satisfaction. Like there's um, everything's, if, if I'm right with God, everything's right in the world. You know, right. um, everything else could fall away and... It's okay because it's okay with me and God. But um, f- what is your connection with God like? Like, what word would you use to describe it? Or what, I don't know, just what is that like for you and your experience as a Christian? I'm like most people that we have our kind of ups and downs of where we feel mm-hmm. that connection with God. Um, My my life far, falls so far short of where it needs to be. But I'm so grateful that I'm covered by the blood of Christ that, you know, I will still be told when I die that, you know, I am His, my, and I'll be welcomed into heaven. Um, But on a, on a daily basis, I'm trying to bring things to the Lord in prayer through the day. I, I have, I will get up early to try and spend time with Him. Um, I think accountability is good. I'm in a Bible study group at church, and that helps hold me accountable. Unfortunately, with the three little ones, there seems to be every time I get up early, 
they get up early too. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've walked away from holding myself, I guess, legalistically accountable. Oh, you didn't do this today, or you didn't do you know, your Bible study for so long today, because I know that these little ones are the ones that God has put in my life. And, um, but throughout the day, you know, it says to pray continually. I'm asking the Lord or talking to the Lord or, um, but to say, just like everybody, there's times I feel very dry if I've not mm. been in the Word recently. And then when I'm able to get back in, it just feels like a, a shower of His goodness. Um, when I see His promises, when I see His faithfulness in in people's lives, in Scripture, it's a reminder to me. Um, but He's, as I keep coming back to faithful, right? He's there even when I can't spend that time with Him in the morning. Um, but it is... I don't wish for the hard times, and none of us do, but I'm grateful as I look back to see those are times of growth in my life and to see those are times that I said he was, he's just so sweet, the comfort of the Lord in those times when we've lost children or when things don't go right or we don't understand. All I've got is to cry out to him. Hmm. Um, yeah, you mentioned um, like your life falls short of where it needs to be. So from like in, looking in your life, you, I would think, wow, there's just a life dedicated to serving the Lord. So it's like, um, you know, I don't see that, but I guess, I don't know, I guess in our own lives, we can always kind of see maybe where things, I don't know, where we wish things were different or we were better at certain things or something like that, I guess, huh? Well, this, this saying always rears its head. You know, it's, uh, I wish, God's given me these these goals right now to parent and finish obviously raising my older kids and start again with these new ones, but I wish I didn't get angry with them like I do. Hmm. Okay. Um, I wish I didn't have jealousy towards these people that I see with an empty nest that I still mm-hmm. struggle with. Hmm. Um, I know what God's given me, and I'm grateful for it, and I wouldn't change it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean I don't struggle with the sin of right. sometimes envy and anger and impatience and my own desires. They're, they're still there, and they still fight, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't won, and I won't win till the day I die, but i got to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It seems like the thing that, for me, that helps the most is when um, Jesus' atoning sacrifice just impacts me, and it seems to, um, well, like I was recently thinking about First John, um, you know, if you confess your sins, he is, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And whenever... Um, that impacts me that I have been redeemed and I my guilt has been removed and um, he's cleansing me of that sin that's entangled up in my heart and that I'm justified before him and he smiles upon me and loves me. That's the most powerful thing um, against sin 
um, against, for me, like against bitterness and resentment, like that can be something that just I hate in my life, but it can be there. And, um, but, but that, when the gospel really impacts me, that just kind of makes it all dissolve away. But it's, but what's not easy is just being impacted by the gospel. Um, sometimes it's just like really makes an impression on me. And other times it's just, well, I know it, you know, I can tell you what the gospel is, but it doesn't seem to have an emotional impact on me. Is there anything in particular for you that helps um, the gospel to be more than just, um, you know, something we know, but something that we really feel and um, causes us to have joy or something like that? It's seeing God at work. Okay. Um, I was talking to somebody last week. It was about an answer to prayer and that the Lord has done recently. And we are so surprised. And we, we ask, well, why should we be so surprised? Because God has told us that he will provide for us. He will take care of us. Why are we surprised? And I, we talked about it for a while, and we realized, you know, we should be surprised. Not because God is unfaithful, but because that's where we've our joy is too, and we can rejoice in what God has done rather than just, oh, yeah, he did it again. And um, that's where that I see the gospel because I see the faithfulness of God. Hmm. And that's when it really becomes alive, either through the tough times and then seeing him answer prayer. I can, um, it just brings that reality of the living God, Mm -hmm. opens my eyes again to it. So, yeah, the day to day, it's easy to lose that kind of joy and that kind of focus on on the gospel. We do kind of, I feel, get immune to the, the feeling connected with that, what how awesome that is. Um, but as we see him do what only God can do, mm-hmm. it wakes it back up. This is totally random, off topic, but just something that I've been really, it's been a puzzle for me. I've been in First John lately, and there's a real contrast there by like um, people who have been, who've experienced God and been born of him, and like they follow the commandments of Jesus, they love one another. But and then, then I could think implied is that those who are like of the the world and just kind of the natural man who have not experienced God, that they would not have that love and so forth. But what's puzzling for me is just um, meeting people. I can think of individuals who are not Christians and who seem to be serving, caring, loving people. And it's like, well, how does that fit? You know, it just, it's like a, a problem for me, you know, and then, um, and then some people who identify with Christianity, whereas, you know, you don't, you know, you don't see it so much making much of an impact on their life, it seems. But, um, anyway, um, but I can kind of understand that more like we're all in a process of growth and stuff. Yeah. What's kind of puzzling is like this person here who um, is not a Christian and yet, wow, they seem like a genuinely caring person and stuff like that. Do you have any thoughts about that? 
Yeah, there are, you know, a lot of people out there that are like that, and I'm I'm grateful for them. Yeah. Um, but I think even maybe as we look in on their lives, it should encourage us as Christians going, okay, if we've got somebody who doesn't even know Christ, doesn't claim to know Christ and doesn't know of his ways, then why are we not doing this kind of thing as the church? And uh, that's one thing. With the fostering, I had um, right back at the beginning, as I said, we thought maybe three or four kids. Um, but I had a caseworker tell me one time that the Christians are great when it comes to protesting at the abortion clinics and, you know, all about pro-life and all that. But where are the Christians when these children are born and need them? And that hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like we are not here just to fight for the unborn. We are here to fight, too, for those children that need someone. And I think that day was the day we realized this isn't just us building a family. This is us serving the Lord. And I don't know when it will end as far as fostering because this is what God's called us to do right now. But this... This is what we need to be doing as a church. I think more, and I'm not saying everybody is called to foster, um, but I have taught the classes several times, and it breaks my heart to teach classes where there are gay and lesbian couples because there are not enough Christians to stand up and take these children. And uh, that's... So I hope looking out on the world and seeing caring people, hopefully that, you know, that should be our response as Christians. I need to be caring too. Yeah. Well, um, I guess just kind of before before just wrapping up, um, just a last question is like, are there, and my daughter Ellie always, she always wants me to ask this, like, what have they learned? Like, are there things that you know now that you didn't know when you were younger that you wish you knew or anything in particular like that that just kind of stands out to you? Just to trust the Lord, to um, not get caught up in the things of this world. That I've had people say to me, oh, you know, this all bring you to an early grave, taking care of all these kids or something like that. And it's, if I die, wore out because I've taken care of kids that God has called me to do, then let me die, wore out. Because then it's a life that was lived f for him. Um, and that's what we're here to do. And it's taken me years to actually get to that point to be able to say, it's not my life, oh, let me help out a couple of kids. This is, I was bought at a price, and it is my privilege to give that life back to God and say, how do you want me to use it? Hmm. And I know saying it, it sounds like I got it together. I don't. As I said, I still fight with those selfish tendencies and those um, wants and desires of my own flesh. Um, but that's where I want to be, at this holy, sold-out, life for Christ um, because that's all, all that's worth anything and he will give us 
a life that is totally beyond one, what we could imagine or dream of. One of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye is uh, seen, no ear is heard, uh, what God has in store for those who love him. Huh. And I don't, I don't know. I'm very wary of quoting scripture because people say I take some sort of stuff out of context. And I don't know if that means what he has in store for us in heaven, what he has in store for us here on earth, um, and even some of the bad things, what he has in store for us, but even those bad things are, are areas of growth mm-hmm. and drawing closer to him. But I know that God has it. And, mm. uh, and I, it's, so far it's been more than I could ever have dreamed or imagined. And uh, yeah, I hope it continues that way. It reminds me of, maybe I might be remembering this wrong, but I think when Paul was blinded on the road and... Um, and the Lord spoke to Ananias, I think it was maybe, and said, um, you know, I must show him how much he must suffer for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that was a pretty incredible life of, of Paul's. So anyway. Well, we're told it's, we will suffer. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I think right now in the West, suffering, we may think we're going through a hard time whatever it might be, whether it's financially, whether it's just somebody's done us wrong, or but um, I'm not negating that that suffering isn't real, because it is. But it's, it's nothing like what Paul suffered. But still, he counted all that. Uh, well, Jesus counted it joy to go to the cross. Mm-hmm. And that's the ultimate suffering. Mm-hmm. And uh, if he asks us to suffer then you also know that he's going to be there to give us the strength to walk us through that. Mm -hmm. And that's when he's closest and nearest to me. Yeah. Well, is there anything else before we wrap up? Um, Do you have a blog that you want anyone to follow or anything like that? No, I did do a blog when we went to England and Zambia, and I wish I was more faithful at writing down of what God's done. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, not right now. I don't. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Michelle. It's been really good and just really encouraging for me. And, um, thanks for being a part of this. Well, thanks. Well, appreciate it. Mm